a handful of writers uh, put together a list in the New Yorker magazine, and they titled it this, People That I'd Like to Sign an NDA, a Non-Disclosure Agreement. Here are a few of the, the people that they, or scenarios that they listed. The child on the street who saw me drop my cookie, pick it up, inspect it, dust it off, and eat it. My first kiss, Jeff Sindler, after he cut himself on my braces and immediately asked my mom if he should go to the hospital. Anyone I knew in middle school, anyone I knew in high school, anyone I ever tried to be, quote, vulnerable with. Vulnerability is a bit of a buzzword these days, or it's really been a buzzword for the last decade, ever since Brene Brown began talking about it in some really profound ways. It's the key to relating to others. It's the key to relating to yourself, to learning and growing and finally engaging with the truth. Vulnerability, it seems like, is in, except for the fact that it isn't. As in, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. None of us want to do it. It's not fun. Added to the list of things that are undoubtedly good for us, but we resist. When push comes to shove, when we're offered the opportunity to be vulnerable, we say, I'm good. No thanks, I'll pass. Or if we accidentally find ourselves in a vulnerable situation with someone in the aftermath, we whip out one of those NDAs and we like to pretend that that never happened. If I'm being honest, I kind of think about prayer in a similar way. I know that it's good for me. I've experienced prayer as a profound comfort in my life. I've experienced prayers being answered. I've seen real transformation in my life and in other people's lives through prayer. I believe in prayer, and yet I rarely feel like I'm doing it enough or like I'm doing it correctly. Similar to vulnerability, prayer is usually something that's actually, if I'm being honest, something that's forced upon me. I stumble upon it in a moment of worry or fear when I don't know what else to do. Even during seasons of my life when I've been praying what I would call regularly or consistently, it's not because I've chosen to pray more. It's honestly because in some ways it's been thrust upon me because of the circumstances of life. How do you feel about prayer? What do you think about when you think about the word prayer? Do you pray without ceasing from morning to night? Can you remember the last time that you prayed? For some, a conversation about prayer can feel like you're sitting in a dentist chair being asked how often you floss, especially if it's a priest asking you when the last time you prayed was. Prayer itself can be a topic of anxiety and mystery for many of us. While for others, it's, it's a true lifeline in the midst of the ups and downs of life. Prayer is a funny thing in that way, I think. We don't always know what we're doing when we're doing it, or why we're praying, or what we actually think or hope will come from the prayer. But we do it nonetheless. And we hope and we pray that someone is listening to our prayer. In our gospel reading today, the disciples cut right to it, and they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. 
And Jesus teaches them, not by whipping out a dry erase board and showing them an example of a good prayer and then a bad prayer, but simply by giving them these famous words. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we, or for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Do not bring us to the time of trial. Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He says, say this. When you're alone, when you're afraid, when you're destitute, maybe when you're just a little bit bored, say these words. And before the disciples can undoubtedly in that moment jump in with their questions about, well, why those words? And what do I have to do to make sure that those words are answered in the way that I'd like them to be answered? Jesus hits them with a parable about a man who's in desperate need. The man goes to his friend in the middle of the night. He doesn't call. He doesn't consider the hour or the fact that his friend's children are sleeping. He just goes and he knocks and he knocks and he knocks and he knocks on his friend's door. Help me out. I'm in need. I have nothing. I'm ill-prepared for my guest. I'm ill-prepared for tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do, this man says. Jesus says the friend acknowledges how ridiculous this is. It's late. And unlike the desperate man, the friend is prepared. He's done his grocery shopping. He's paid his bills. He's locked the door. He's tucked his kids into bed. He's probably said some really nice bedtime prayers with them. He's taking his vitamins. He's ready to hit the gym in the morning. He doesn't need to burden himself with this desperate pleas of this desperate man. But Jesus says that despite all of this, because of the desperate man's persistence, the friend will get up and give him whatever he needs. Well, the question we immediately ask is why? Why does this friend get up and give this man whatever he needs. Is it just because he was persistent? Because he was determined and didn't give up? Did he show maybe some display of deserving or maybe even earning this help that he's given? The good favor of his friend. These are all honest questions or good questions. They're questions that we've asked about this parable and about uh, prayer in general for centuries, but I think they're sort of the wrong questions, or at least I think that we're asking them for the wrong reasons. Because we know this is a parable about prayer, about knocking on God's door with a request, and we want to know with just as much desperation as that man doing the knocking, what trick or what method Or discipline did he use to get his friend to get God to answer the door? How am I supposed to pray correctly? It's not the right question because Jesus has already answered that question. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus says it's as simple as that. Prayer is not about our performance at the end of the day. As C.S. Lewis put it, in prayer, we lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Our actual lives, our actual hearts, so often full of desperate wanting and knocking. 
God doesn't answer because of the worthiness or the manner of our praying. He isn't waiting for the right prayer. He answers because of who we are and who he is. We're the ones knocking in desperation, not afraid to cause a scene or to wake up the neighbors because our need and our fear is already so great that we have nothing left to lose. God is the friend who knows this, who can hear the worry in our voice and knows that there's no other reason for us to come this late at night and knock on his door. Well, the world has turned us away, told us that we should have been prepared, we should have known better, we should have been better. Come back when you're better, the world says. Well, it turns out that despite the scene that we've caused and the ruckus that we've made, God's light is still on for us. He's unlocked the door and he's let us in. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to get right to the point. Don't hold it back. To bring our desperation, our fears, our needs and our wants to his door, whatever hour it may be. Give us our daily bread. He tells us to pray, the very basic and most needed necessity. And then next, but not moving on from this idea of our daily bread, but doubling down, or rather clarifying, I would say, what this daily bread actually is, what we're in such desperate need of. Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. Free me from the weight of the things done and left undone in my life. We all have debts. The debt that we carry from the thing we wish we hadn't said, from the thing we wish we had said. Many of us have literal debts. We have numbers or we have memories or mistakes hanging over our heads. They weigh us down. They make us feel sick. They keep us from sleeping, from attending to our relationships, from focusing on the things that actually bring us joy and peace in our lives. Some of us spend a lifetime denying and running away from these debts that we carry in our lives, in our hearts. The truth is that we all have debts. And try as we might, we can't shake them off or will them away on our own. But our friend behind the door listening to our prayers isn't waiting, us, waiting for us to shake off our debts. He hears the rattling and the broken timber of our hearts, and he answers with one loud, clear, and true answer. We can try and run from our debts, by convincing ourselves that they aren't so bad, by convincing ourselves that they don't exist, by convincing ourselves that we can grow and we can overcome them on our own. We can become better, we can become wealthier, if you will. We can become the person who can pay them off on our own. You've tried all of those things in your own way, but I'm willing to guess that those debts that you carry, they still remain on your balance sheet when you leave it up to yourself to wipe it clean. Our only hope is that the debt that we carry will be forgiven, 
that the creditor will look upon us with grace and recklessly take the financial hit upon himself. Not because of how we've asked, but because of who he is. Every Sunday we celebrate communion. And in the liturgy, before we end up praying the Lord's Prayer, which we pray right before we come up to the altar and receive communion, we hear the celebrant. We'll hear Mary Lou in a few moments um, speak the words that Jesus spoke on the night of his betrayal. Taking the chalice of wine in his hands, he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then a few moments later in the service, as I said, we pray the words our Savior Christ hath taught us, the Lord's Prayer. And we pray the words, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses. And we know that in that moment when we say that prayer, because of Jesus, that God will answer that prayer that he already has. We ask for forgiveness, having already or just been promised that we have and we will be forgiven. We might not feel worthy some days, sometimes, of that forgiveness. We might not feel worthy of our prayers being answered. But I'll leave you with this. My father used to get frustrated with me wasting all my money as a kid on football cards. After cutting the grass for him or for a neighbor, I would instantly run as fast as I could to Cavalier Cards and Comics, and I'd buy a new pack of cards. I would argue with my dad, saying it wasn't a waste of money at all. Look, this magazine says how much this card and this card and this card, how much they're worth. This isn't a waste of money. This is an investment. And he would smile, knowing full well that I would never sell a single one of those cards in my entire life. And he would tell me, just like most things in life, those cards, those cards are only worth what someone else is willing to pay for them. I think my dad was on to something. On the cross, Jesus paid for us with his own life. On the cross, Jesus was willing to give up his life for you and for me. In the eyes of God, you are worth it all. Your debts, they've been paid. God has spoken to you and to me and said, you are worth it all. And for you, my light is always on. I'm always listening. So go ahead and knock away. I'm here. Amen.